0: Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, the podcast where we dissect uh, all kinds of different sports, whether it's NASCAR, NFL, mountain biking, endurance running, pretty much any and every kind of sport, because we want to find out how to be pretty competent at everything, the consummate athlete, if you will. I'm Molly Herford. I'm the author of a few books on cycling. I write about fitness and outdoor activities for my own site as well as a bunch of different magazines and of course I engage in a lot of those outdoor activities. Um,
1: And I'm Peter Glassford, Molly's co-host here on the Consummate Athlete and I'm a registered kinesiologist. Um, I specialize in coaching cyclists mostly, mostly endurance mountain bikers, but there's a bit of everyone in there. We have some road and triathlon and TT and everything else Um, and then I'm actually happy to be back at the gym working more on the kinesiology side of things helping people move so I was working with a group of 9 to 14 year old ladies last night in the fit girl class and then this morning I had back to basics which is uh the 60 plus crowd so the 60 plus crowd and I relate much better than the 9 to 14 year old girls but my monotone Humor gets the odd laugh out of the young ladies, too.
0: They're just trying to be polite. They're Uh, sort of afraid of you.
1: I don't think they were being polite at all, actually. A lot of sass, actually.
0: We're we're at Active Life Conditioning. Active Life Conditioning? Is that right?
1: That's right. Yeah, we're borrowing the room I use for cycling testing, actually. Uh, We're sitting on the floor on some mats here using some activity or, or lifestyle hacking or I don't know if they use the word hacking but our guest today can expand on some of these ways that we can sort of include some extra stretching and movement variety into our day.
0: Actually I think you mean our guest for next week's podcast who we're about to interview.
1: Hey I'm actually talking with Jeff Kabush.
0: Jeff Kabush is a tremendous mover. I've heard he has excellent horsey well, we flexion. Well, so
1: Jeff and I go into a lot of stuff today. I was really excited that Jeff joined us on the podcast.
0: Yeah, Jeff Kabush is one of Canada's... Yeah. I I don't even know how to begin to describe him. I don't
1: know. I'm sure we did a better introduction. In we the... absolutely did. Yeah.
0: Two-time Olympian, just the probably top cross-country male racer to come out of Canada.
1: I mean, he was also the best in North America for quite a while so Well, okay, fine. I, well, we'll
0: give him the whole continent. He That's won a fine. lot of the
1: original Norbas. That's how he made his career, which is interesting about Jeff. While he did well on the World Cup circuit, including winning a World Cup, um, which he, is a
0: huge deal for a North American, especially elite men.
1: Yes, increasingly so. But back in the day, it wasn't that crazy because we had a bunch of really good mountain bikers. Um, so yeah, we talked to Jeff about a bunch of stuff. His training, which I've always been curious about because I've always looked up to him. So we get into, I ask him a couple questions point blank about his training and he answers them pretty well. But we talk about how Jeff's so good at a, every discipline he does. He's been one cross Vegas or been sort of definitely podium. I'm pretty
0: sure he's won. He's won a lot
1: of cross races, national champion in cross. He's won a lot of the Norma short tracks when short track was a, a big deal back in the day. And everyone was winning Jeeps. I don't know if he won a Jeep, but he was there. Uh, he's won a lot of cross-country races. He's won marathon races. He's won marathon nationals. He's won... What other disciplines has he done? Some gravel. Oh gosh, well, he's he crushed, crushed the
0: Grouse Grind. Um, he's pretty close to one of the top runners. For running. In the Grouse Grind. Run <laughs> yeah. So he's a very good runner as well. North Van. Um, yeah, he's just an all-around cool guy. It was interesting because I probably started interviewing him almost a decade ago. Uh, on the cyclocross circuit, so I really didn't have a lot of context for him as a cross-country guy. I always thought of him as more a cyclocross guy, because with my background in cross, that's more, you know, what I covered. I was peripherally aware of the fact that, like, oh, yeah, this guy went to the Olympics, whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, but way more focused on him as a cyclocross racer.
1: Yeah, so I think some good takeaways for everyone, you know, whether you train for mountain biking or another sport, I think there's a lot of stuff here. Uh, we talked a bit about benchmarking and stuff. We talked about some youth sport development stuff. So I think that every sport's trying to get a grassroots. So it's so lots of stuff. You had a couple notes before we get into this episode with Jeff. You have some news about your own development book.
0: Yeah, actually, uh, this will be I guess the first place it's gonna go out before it's even up on the Shred Girls website. But actually, I just signed a contract with Rodale Kids to publish Shred Girls as a series. Um, Originally, you know, a lot of you might know that I started publishing it uh, this season as a self-published book, but Rodale caught wind of it, took a look, and loved it and loved what I was trying to do with it, trying to get, you know, young girls excited about riding bikes, so after a few meetings and, you know, some some collaboration talks and stuff, uh, I ended up signing with them. So actually, if you do already have a copy of Shred Girls, you're one of the very few to get that limited first edition. Uh, The new one with Rodale is gonna have a bunch of illustrations in it and it'll be out sometime next year. Uh, and that, it's a three book series right now, and then hopefully we'll keep going with it. So yeah, I'm and you're gonna, so excited.
1: We're going to keep doing a little bit as far as event stuff, and then a little bit on the website as well with yeah. those real so, life Shred Girls and different content and stuff too.
0: Exactly. So keep an eye on shred-girls.com, sign up for the newsletter for a bunch of different updates, and yeah, we'll have a bunch of stuff still going on with that. Um, we are also actually at three and a half weeks out from Ironman, and Peter had a bit of a rough weekend. I'm sad to say. I had a pretty good weekend, so that was pretty great.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm alive. I figure any weekend I come out of alive is good.
0: So. I guess that's true. Yeah, we had a really nice offline weekend. So the reason this is a day late is because we were actually with my parents and Peter's parents. They came up to my parents came up to visit Ontario for the long weekend. So. We had a really good good visit with them. We got on a bunch of rides and runs and actually Peter's first open water swim, which was very exciting.
1: Yeah, a little terrifying. It's like closing your eyes and swimming. So mm-hmm.
0: I mean, once you get like 25 yards offshore, though, you could start seeing your arms again. Yeah,
1: I might just have my eyes closed and be screaming underwater.
0: That might be your problem, actually. Well, it got better as I got used to it, though. I was pretty proud the of you. The sweet
1: thing is my legs float tremendously in the wetsuit. So... Ah,
0: that's right. It was also your first time in a <laughs> While wetsuit. While I'm worried about
1: panicking now, I'm less worried about the actual swimming because it's pretty crazy
0: but now you know if you panic you can pretty much just pop up and like hang and you're okay yeah i'll sink i you'd have to take off your wetsuit somehow (laughs) pulled under like i'm just picturing you like claustrophobic like ripping off the wetsuit just like oh i can't take it which i've actually had to do in the water in a race before i've had to stop and like unzip the back because i did get claustrophobic
1: yeah i didn't find the neck that crazy but you have a sleeveless
0: wetsuit though like right. If you had a long-sleeve one, it's definitely more constrictive, even though it's a little bit cozier. Um, yeah, so that's sort of our big exciting news. In a couple weeks, we head out to Calgary uh, for Mountain Bike National. So hopefully Peter will get to actually get in a ride or two with Jeff while, while we're out there. Uh, you can follow along with all of our various adventures at at Peter Glassford and at Molly J. Herford over on Twitter and Instagram. It's going to be a pretty action-packed few weeks coming up, I think. So yeah. really excited about that and super excited about this interview. So without further ado, let's, uh, let's dive into chatting with Jeff Kabush.
1: Welcome back to The Consummate Athlete. We're here today with one of my favorite people, Jeff Kabush. Uh, Jeff, if two, you don't- Two of
0: your favorite people. Well, i I'm guess here we're too. Here, we're here with Molly too, I guess.
1: Um, we're here with Jeff Kabush, who is known for racing his bike fast and having a little fun along the way. Uh, Jeff is one of the most accomplished, if not, I would say maybe the most accomplished Canadian cyclist for sure, but certainly has made a name for himself in what was the Norba in the US series and also abroad, um, including winning a World Cup. So. Um, and we're actually in Bromont right now, so I was regaling the, the youth with stories of Jeff lapping me in a World <laughs> Cup, and uh, it was all muddy and stuff, so we'll maybe get into that. But Jeff, welcome to the Consummate Athlete.
2: Thanks for having me. Yeah, some some good memories there in Bromont. had my uh, first first Canada Cup win there, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. And was it, was it like a muddy, sort of <clears throat> crazy day for that as well?
2: That one, it uh, uh, thunderstorms the day before and was just drying out, so uh, used some uh, fast tires and snuck away for the win, but funny story that uh, kind of got clouded because two guys, uh, Peter Wedge and Seamus McGrath, forgot to get their bikes checked, which had to do back in the day, so they got disqualified, and that was, that was the story, even though I, I won the race, kind of clouded my, my first big win.
1: Oh, so you won, <laughs> but then they got disqualified, so it's sort of, that was the news story. <laughs> yeah, huh.
2: back, back in the day, 1997. I think that, was,
1: that was such a crazy era with the bike checks and stuff, because it was before tech zones, and so you had to get your wheels, like, with stickers and your frames with stickers.
2: Yeah, yeah, and had to carry everything and know how to change a flat and mm-hmm. fix your bike, so yeah, <laughs> back in the day.
0: Peter spends most of his time grumping about how kids today can't <clears throat> change their tires or anything on the course, so... I think you kind of wishes yeah. it was still like that <clears throat> yeah
2: it's uh yeah it's definitely kind of mind blowing I mean that was uh I mean kind of interesting part for me getting into mountain biking and the, the technical part and it was uh, definitely intimidating learning what trailers were and how it all worked but definitely fun part to, to figure out the bike and
1: how it all worked yeah And so why don't we start, you know, sometimes it's helpful to understand sort of where people came from so that then, you know, you sort of see where they've ended up, but then also maybe some takeaways and stuff. So I wonder, start, you were out on some island in BC and you decided you wanted to ride bikes. Like, what did that look like?
2: Yeah, well, uh, it kind of started when I was in eighth grade. My parents actually did a teacher's exchange to England. My parents were both teachers. So lived in the southwest of England uh, when I was 12. And my friend over there had a mountain bike. And I had uh, what I called a 10 speed road bike. And we'd uh, go into the hills there. And I kept flatting my 10 speed and had to stuff the tires with leaves to make it home. But I uh, really enjoyed getting out there riding my mountain bike. So when I came back to Canada in ninth grade, I decided to, to buy my first mountain bike. And uh, I think cool thing about being in BC, it's such such amazing trails, and we have a family cabin on Hornby Island, which is, kind of, this is my favorite place to ride, and uh, got my first mountain bike, and kind of got hooked on riding there, and uh, the Comox Cup, uh, the valley on Vancouver Island, where I, I grew up, had a, a race series, and started doing there, that, and had a couple friends, a uh, good friend, um, Aaron Coulter had an old 66 VW van, and that's how I started traveling around and racing the provincial series or the local races go over load up at his his house and drive around every weekend doing the races and then uh, kind of progressed my last year as a junior started doing the the canada cup series and did well and ended up doing the whole thing and qualifying for uh world championships as a, a junior my last year racing both both downhill and cross country and then going over was over in kirkstadt in germany and um uh, it was a pretty amazing experience, the, the number of people there, and that kind of, I was playing a lot of different sports all through high school. Basketball was kind of one of my, my main sports, but that experience just kind of got me buzzed and hooked on, on cycling, uh, mountain biking, and kind of decided after high school that that uh, was the sport I kind of wanted to really focus on and pursue. So that was... And just kind of went from there.
1: For parents and and young athletes, so that was you were playing basketball and getting your high school degree and stuff, and that was so you didn't really make that decision till after high school.
2: No, I didn't. Never, never rode my bike in the winter until till after high school. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was definitely multi sport. I can uh, pretty much played every sport except for for hockey. My parents thought it was too expensive, but yeah, I didn't didn't focus on cycling specifically until uh, after I graduated high school. Didn't shave my legs until I graduated high
1: school. And, uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. But, no, I
1: mean That's the name of your book, to, by uh, the way. When you have your, I didn't shave my legs. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's a really long book title. Yeah.
1: Well, we'll we'll, we'll sharpen that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but, yeah, no, I I moved to Victoria and started going to to school, um, University of Victoria. And uh, that was uh, when I kind of first started riding in the winter and uh, focused 100% on, on cycling.
1: Mm-hmm. And did you get your degree then in four years or how long did you, cause you have an engineering degree, which I don't know if everyone knows that, but you have a degree. Like, did you do that straight up?
2: Uh, no, not quite. That, that, that ended up being all drawn out. Uh, it was a mandatory co-op work experience program, which meant it kind of alternated, um, school semesters with work semester. So I actually worked, uh, five semesters and, uh, the engineering load was a, a little bit heavier, so took six courses at a time per mm-hmm. semester instead of five. I tried that the uh, second year for one semester and kind of cracked and then um, kind of toned it back to four courses a semester for a long time, alternating that with work. And It was, it was certainly challenging cause because of the mandatory co-op, there was um, courses in the summer as well, so I had to take four courses during the summer while racing as well as working. Um, but, yeah, it took uh, almost almost eight years to finally bang that off. Uh in 2003, finally.
1: Right. So during that period, like, what else did you – like, you went to the Olympics during that period?
2: Yeah, 2000 was uh, the first time I went. So, yeah, I moved to Victoria Start School in 96 and uh, was training there and racing. And, yeah, when I look back, I was certainly uh, motivated. Um just remembering some of my schedules there. Uh, my roommates can recount the story too, especially when I was some work semesters, I'd, you know, get up at six thirty, drive drive uh, to work. Uh, luckily I knew the owner of the company, aluminum, aluminum fabrication company, uh, Dave Smith, who uh, gave me a bit of a flexible work schedule. So I'd get there at seven work till two, drive home transition onto my bike, uh, like a triathlon transition as quick as I could. <laughs> and, uh, Head out on the bike uh, with with lights, which uh, weren't weren't that great. The old lead acid batteries would BLT,
1: so you had no water bottle.
2: (coughs) Yeah, (laughs) and uh, so I'd ride as long as I could until it got too dark out the Galloping Goose Trail in Victoria, until it got dark, and uh, then switch on my lights and often barely make it home. uh, Fit in a four hour ride, get home at eight, have have uh, some food, hang out for half an hour, and go to bed and do it again the next day. so uh yeah no I was I was focused there uh and uh a lot of a lot of hard work now I got it easy but uh, I was certainly had a dream and was working hard towards it then yeah just qualified in 2000 for the Olympics and that was uh kind of when I got my first good contract and uh but I still continued on finishing off school for the last two or three years there
1: You can do that big race this year, whether it's a gravel grinder, Grand Fondo, mountain bike marathon, or a stage race. Don't put it off or show up unprepared. Let smart athlete, that's Peter Glassford, help you train optimally for your goals. You are not the same as your friends or a random pro. Get a plan that fits into your life and takes your fitness and your experience into account. As a kinesiologist, professional cycling coach, and experienced rider, I have a unique balance of theoretical and practical experience that can help you reach your goals. Whether you need a simple training plan to follow, or daily contact to dial in your training and adapt to your changing lifestyle and needs, or maybe you just need a skill session to get ready to hop logs and shred some trails at an upcoming mountain bike race, I can help. Visit smartathlete.ca to find out more and get started. Did you ever debate not finishing or like just delaying it? Uh,
2: not really. I mean, I was, you know, so far through it was definitely um, challenging there at the end. I guess I was. Uh, I mean, I was doing well as uh, as a racer and just thinking, why why am I going to school? But I was almost done, and uh, I'm glad I finished it off. It's uh, definitely uh, nice to have that degree and. It's uh, certainly been a use, for sure. Uh, some of the kind of R and D work I do with companies to kind of understand the language and just have that kind of mindset thinking about the product. Yeah. But I don't know if I don't know if I'll ever be be an engineer. That sounds like a lot of responsibility. But
1: <laughs> well, it's definitely. Uh, there's a lot of people with degrees. Nice to think. have that degree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. What do you do? You have young athletes or parents ever ask you? you know, about school and what should I do? You know, I'm, I just won junior nationals or something. Like, do you ever, how do you answer that question?
2: I mean, I'm, I'm a big advocate of doing something else on the side. I think a lot of athletes feel that if they're going to pursue it, they, they have to pursue it a hundred percent and that be their only focus. But I, I feel like that can, uh, make it harder sometimes when you have no distractions so I mean I really encourage I mean I always had success uh, having a distraction like school or a a lot of people think it's you can't you know have a job and race at the highest level at the same time but you know I work 32-35 hours a week and also was you know taking four courses at a time while racing and it's um, a backup plan is always a, a really good idea it's very few athletes as you know can Turning it into a career so it's uh mentally it's good to have a distraction so the pressure and the focus is 100 on your riding and uh i definitely think it's it helps long run to be more rounded person and athlete
1: and i think even just the structure right like you say if you're you know going to go pro at 16 you know and sit around and bum around then there's a lot of hours in the day that get wasted that you know you could have been doing stuff. yeah
2: no and i mean um i've talked with kind of thomas frischnick about this subject a lot and um i think it when um young riders you know you have to you have to fight for things and it's a, it's a challenge um you really appreciate things a lot more when you finally do get to focus focus 100 on the bike uh i mean Frisch's son had to do an apprentice you know 60 hours a week as a carpenter and he's finally getting to focus a bit more on the bike and. I mean, it just, I think, makes you a lot more focused, disciplined with your time. You pick up a lot of skills, and I think it creates a lot more resilient athletes, and uh, I think in in the long run, that kind of pays off.
1: I would say you're fairly, when we talk about consummate athletes, you're, you know, certainly you're specialized because you're so elite with cycling. I mean, you're good at many disciplines, which we'll talk about, but... When we talk about that, a lot of it is the ability to talk to people and, you know, the social media, I guess, is part of that. And um, do you think that university experience and that sort of upbringing is that part of the skills you're talking about that you sort of develop, you know, or Frischie's son, for example, being a carpenter, like he would learn to be respectful of people and, you know, there's a boss that you have to keep happy and a client and that sort of stuff. Do you think that's maybe something that gets overlooked when we send juniors to be, you know, super pros at 16?
2: Uh, I mean, I think it definitely gives, gives you a perspective, but I think it's also I mean for me, I mean, you see me now as an athlete, but I've always had the mentality and training or if you want to, you know, social media that there's always something to learn. And, uh, I think you see the danger when you see young athletes that think they already know it all. And, uh, I've I've always felt even when I was successful, there's there's still something to learn and um, all there's so many different dimensions of, of being an athlete to learn about and uh, I see that as the, the danger when you see young athletes that aren't willing to take advice and feel like they they know it all and aren't exploring or still still learning uh, how to be an athlete. It's is even at my age, I'm still learning new things for sure.
0: Mm.
1: What do you think your biggest accomplishment is thus far in your career?
2: Uh, I mean the fact that i'm I'm still racing and having fun, I mean, there's been a lot of challenges as as far as results that uh, one day you mentioned in in bromont is is certainly a highlight after working so hard. I mean there's a lot of things wrapped up in that uh, you know surviving uh, pretty. Rampant drug abuse in the sport, uh, in my career, and you know, kind of surviving through that. I think, I mean, I look back some of those results. Uh, world Cups were as top ten, surrounded by shady characters, but that kind of reward and accomplishment of being, you know, winning a World Cup and being the best in the world in that one day was was uh, really definitely a, a special memory for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Olympic Olympics in in 2000 was was certainly a a dream dream for me to come true and uh huge memory as well but uh i mean lots of uh great memories i have and uh, i mean the biggest thing is that uh have nothing hiding in my closet and i can be proud of everything i've I've done in my career and uh that's a rewarding feeling
1: i think that's a good answer like i would agree that the the Bromont Day is a big big thing for you and a big thing for canadian cycling for all the reasons you listed but the ability to look at the whole i guess journey to be cliche but that you're still riding still enjoying it but there's just so many awesome days right like we've shared a couple together but the you know those big rides and you know it might be in a race or a stage race you've done some crazy big european stage races and enduro stuff now too and you know some of those things are just like when you think about accomplishments and you know why you do it or you know whether it was good or not There must be just, there's so many, you can't even almost talk about them, but it's interesting that you talk about that because so many athletes would, would go directly to that one result or something, right? Or think, or maybe even thinking forward that, that that's it, right? Like they're, they're all going for that Olympic medal, but miss the point, I guess.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's, how do you teach that, yeah, I guess, I mean, right? Like, why talk... Why did you, why do you go, I guess I'm trying to create a question out of this, but yeah. why, how did you find that your your catchphrase is sort of like, do it till the fun stops, but how, do, how did you get on that path of, you know, being good, but then also really having fun with it? I
2: think, uh, I mean, it goes back to, you know, after hearing the discussion about the process, and I mean, I'm definitely more, internally motivated instead of externally, you know, focused on the results and I think that's where I saw a lot of people get in trouble early in my career is being focused on the results and ego and I don't think I would have survived through that mentioned kind of that, that dark period in the sport if I was solely focused on you know, results. I mean, I had success but um, I had to just focus on my myself and the process and that's what, you know, I was found really rewarding is just um focusing on myself and trying to improve and um and the results and you know are always rewarding but that's not you know what what made me happy in the end it's uh ability to ride my bike and challenge myself and keep learning about the sport that's kind of kept me engaged and i mean that's what you've seen uh, even you know in recent years trying new things you know pushing myself and uh whether it's being in enduro and different disciplines, like across and it, it's it's fun to try new things and keep pushing myself to learn and progress, and that's what's kind of it's such an interesting sport in so many so many areas to learn about that it's uh, kept me engaged for so long, along with the you know the training and learning about my body.
1: Yeah, and I do want to talk to you a bunch about training. It's definitely something I like, and something I think I've learned a lot from you, and we've come from sort of similar backgrounds on a lot of stuff. But I'm wondering why why are you so good at multiple disciplines do you think like is it a type of like physiological training or is it just the like base skills you develop sort of on the island in bc with it being technical like why why can you go to a crit race and like lead out i'm trying to remember the one but like the crit series in vancouver you won or led out and got a prem or something there a couple of years ago but you know why can you race road why can you race cyclocross mountain bike marathon you know if we think about the last month you've been in the top five in a cross-country race a marathon race and probably an enduro race too
2: yeah i mean i think uh, i mean you hear a lot i mean if you have some endurance and coordination you can do um a lot of, a lot of sports and i think a lot of it had to do with you know being not uh not early specialization in mountain biking i mean i played so many sports growing up having that perspective but even within cycling, uh, when I was young, I I raced on the road and um, you know kind of guest rode on some continental road teams, Jittery Joes, and did some of the big uh, Tour Georgia and Philly Week, and rode a couple years on Symmetrics. And uh, you know, when I was younger, you know, whether it's riding a BMX to school and you know always always trying to learn and uh, yeah, I see it, it's frustrating when i see such early specialization there's so many opportunities to learn on the bike and it's just not something you can teach in the classroom or the boardroom about the tactics you have to be in road races to kind of understand and learn on the bike and i mean a lot of it is uh you know the lack of of good clubs and club level events and young young riders where they they learn a lot of the, the skills and I think it's just, yeah, my, my perspective, too. I've always, um, you know, self-analysis and being a fan of the sport and learning about it. Mm-hmm. Being willing to push myself, I guess,
1: as well. Right, right. When you say, is there something, like you said, if you have endurance and coordination, you can do a fair bit. Is there a way to quantify that? Like, what does what what do those two terms mean? I'm asking somewhat elementary and vague question, but... In terms of endurance, like you mean as far as like putting in the time for years, like to develop in like endurance, or how do you define that? I guess, like if someone was like, okay, I'm going to develop endurance and coordination.
2: Well, that's, I mean, a tough, tough question, too. I mean, the endurance you can certainly work on, but uh, coordination, I think, um, I mean, I played a lot of different sports and kind of early development, I kind of, you know, acquired a lot of those skills, but it was a little- also, definitely, you know, super focused as a kid on uh, different sports like soccer and basketball. And um, I mean, none, none of those things come easy. I remember a story when I was a kid, uh, you know, a bit obsessive compulsive. I got into juggling soccer balls. Mm-hmm. And I used to just come home every day after, I don't know, it was early early elementary and just see how many times in a row I could juggle the soccer ball you know keep it off the ground and i think uh, i would spend hours in the backyard and got till i could you know keep it in the air over a thousand times mm-hmm. and uh just uh, that focus to keep on working things on, on things uh but mm-hmm. i mean yeah i mean sometimes uh yeah you can't can't learn that coordination but you can certainly work on it
1: is there, like, did, have you done a lot of coordination, what we call coordination work in, in terms of cycling? Like, have you done a lot of cadence drills and stuff in, in your, your life, I guess, like in your development? Or is that something, like, has there been years you've focused on that? Like, if we're talking strictly about cadence, pedal stroke type stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a, a period, I mean, I'm sure you remember, what are they called the the power cranks, the independently clutch yep. cranks? um i mean i spent a whole winter working on those and uh i mean i think it's a lot of feeling but that certainly helped develop my uh my pedal stroke uh i mean i think in general the mountain biking that kind of helps work on your smoothness just working on the traction but no for sure did some you know i've always kind of incorporated some one-legged pedaling drills and kind of the, the work uh But it's also, yeah, definitely a feeling as well and kind of self-awareness. I think it often, I think sports, it's people learn different ways. And um, I've often learned by watching great athletes and then kind of been able to visualize myself kind of doing the same motion, not necessarily cycling, but uh, other sports as well. And I don't know if that's a a skill or something you can learn, but definitely kind of that self-visualization of uh, kind of transferring those skills has helped Mm. for sure
1: yeah and i mean i think your point to making sure you're not just elite mountain biker at 14 or 15 but going to the road and you know maybe to the track or the bmx bike where those cadence skills get you know they just get developed by doing it right like if you can't spin at 90 to 100 in a road peloton you'll get dropped pretty quick right for sure
2: yeah
1: um is there a type of training um like, would you consider yourself a fairly volume based athlete still or ever in terms of your training?
2: I mean, I certainly did when I was younger. I mean, I've, you know, experimented all different ways with the physiology and training. And I mean, overall, I think it's just, I mean, been the consistency and staying healthy. And all that. But with me, it's always been the, You know kind of focus on on quality and understanding why i'm doing different things i mean i did when i was younger work up to you know massive hours up to not massive but you know 28 30 hour weeks consistently and maybe that helped but i also found like the last last ride of the weekend was always you know a bit bit tired and and junk so i definitely don't do nearly that many hours um and much more you know Focused on quality, but it's also also about the balance. I think um, of you know uh, the intensity and uh, correct intensity, and and also I mean I've delved deep, deep into all kind of gadgets and physiology, but understanding the feeling for sure of uh, where you want to be training and how hard to push, and um, making sure you take those recovery days. Mm-hmm. Having the, the courage to take having the courage to take it easy, as my old mentor Yerg used to say, because you only get get faster when you you rest.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would agree. I've come, you know, done those thousand hour years or thirty hour weeks and stuff, and definitely you wonder at what point you're, you know, are those extra five hours really like how much more? Like, is that curve getting pretty flat at that point? Or are you, you know, how much return are you getting for those five hours versus you know a twenty five hour week? For sure. Oh. And, and uh, the other thing I think that sometimes... It, it's tough because, like, a younger athlete might be listening to this and thinking, okay, well, Jeff isn't doing as much now. But what sometimes gets missed is, like, was were those 30-hour weeks, you know, were those necessary to build, you know, the Jeff Kabush that we have today, right? Like, is, had you not done those big hours, would you have the, you know, the I'm trying to think Your Jurg's terms, but, like, the functional developments? Was it functional or structural? Would you have the structural... You know adaptations that came from that
2: yeah, well I mean and the big thing is people there's the individuality and you just can't go and copy what I did um, and be successful because everyone's got different li- limitations and I mean I think the the big thing is how the sports changed um, mm-hmm. when I was was doing those big hours I mean uh, my junior worlds the winning time. Was over two and a half hours. I finished in a sprint for 99th in about three hours. And uh, when I mean the cross country races were two hours 15, two and a half, and that's been something that I've had to really adapt, and it's been a challenge. I mean that was that was my strength, the endurance, and the last half hour, which they basically eliminated the last 45 minutes from the race, they eliminated, and the courses got much steeper, and the efforts. Much sharper, so that's something that I struggled in the last five or ten years of my career. I had to, uh, you know, adapt my my training the specificity yeah. to uh, match those efforts.
1: Yeah, you and me both. And I don't think it's getting <laughs> any easier, man. <laughs> I looked, and I know you're a fan of data. You posted uh, your 411 watts, I think it was, for 11 minutes to win the Fat Tire Crit. Um, you went solo, and so I, I think I was like over five watts per kg for 30 minutes and over six for like two and threes this past weekend at Tremblant and i it was like 11th and i was just like yeah not got three put i don't know what it was like i think it was five minutes five in like minutes. Eight, five minutes in a 90 or 100 and, or what was it hour 40 race and i just like just like blown off the back and it's definitely like the endurance parts there and I caught like three guys on the last lap and had there been another lap, like I could have probably bridged, you know, up a bunch more, but the last lap isn't there, like you say. And if you're not there to start, you're out. No, I mean,
2: that's where, uh, and while the, I mean, yeah, I used to, my, my results often came in the last lap or two, which aren't, aren't there anymore. And, uh, the challenging part has also come that, the the starts have become so much more important. Um, used to be able to kind of, you know, just pace myself on the heart rate not worry about position the first laps, but now it's all about working your way up the ranking and being on the the front two rows, and that's the really, really challenging part about the big events, the World Cups. I mean, I uh, was starting back in the 60s and 70s, and after being on the front two rows, I know how big a difference it makes just the physiology to be able to roll into the race and keep a steady pace where it's it just gets exponentially harder fighting for a position farther back. And so you really have to put your time in to work to the, to the up on the start grid to get a chance in the starts. And, uh, yeah, it's really sharp efforts, steep up and steep down. They seem to make it as, as steep as they can as a big guy, I wish there's more flat races. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, is there something I mean it's it's tough like you say because times change and we change and adapt and stuff but is there something that you did in the past as far as training that you know you were like ah you know that really didn't work for me
2: yeah I mean certainly different ideas worked on and in training and one of them was kind of really pushing on the the high endurance um where I my endurance rides a kind of pushed, I mean, you talk about thresholds, but higher and higher. Um, and I was doing these amazing three or four hour rides at, um, you know, amazing, amazing power outputs, um, getting stronger and stronger on those rides, but they just didn't translate into cross country performance. So I mean, I probably would have been able to do an amazing Ironman split, but uh, yeah. I had kind of just, steady power but it just didn't translate into performance when it came to the you know like we talked about the sharp on off effort so I was able to make you know amazing progress in training and up the level but it just didn't didn't translate into the cross country performance Yeah. so it's uh yeah yeah, different ideas and I've played with a lot
1: yeah and that's where the, the goal right like why like you say why are you doing it what are you hoping to get out of this um is important i guess right because it might be the perfect thing like you say for a triathlete or you know maybe even for like a certain like a leadville marathon type race that was steady enough um but that's that's your your classic non-polarized like middle ground uh gray Mm -hmm. zone or whatever right and
0: that's what peter's finding out about now while he's trying to train for iron that's what i've always done that's
1: that's where i came from so i'm ready to go i'll be fine
0: (laughs) Yeah. Say that again in a month and a half.
1: I'm I'm debating I, I haven't done any research on this, but I'm like I wonder what the bike course is, like the record don't at, do at it, Whistler. Man. Don't uh, do it. I don't know if you know, Jeff. But, um so I'm just no. like like wouldn't it be a better news story? Like even if I have to walk the marathon, I feel like it's worth it to just like really poach the bike course. But I'm like it's probably pretty legit, but it's pretty hilly, like you know that area, like it's up and down the highway basically. Um at Whistler. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like 2,000 meters of climbing in 180 K, so.
0: On a tri-bike, I will also <laughs> yeah. add.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You're not on your mountain bike. Yeah. You're not the...
1: Nope, yeah. oh. <laughs> okay. Good, good luck with that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's I don't know.
0: Uh, when I'll my sister was racing triathlon, I... we joked.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, when my sister was racing more, we joked about having a face off on a uh, Ironman, but I don't, I don't know if it's on my list anymore.
1: No, I, I'll let you know. But did, has, did Danelle ever do a uh, full Ironman?
2: I don't think so. I think she, she might have done a half. Yeah. Because uh, she mostly no, did. Yeah,
1: mostly did, yeah. I'll
0: point out a lot of yeah, athletes are really offended did. by that question. What? like my least favorite triathlon question is oh you're a triathlete have you done an iron man and then if you have to say no it's like oh well don't worry you'll get there someday yeah. it's like no no i've been really fast at the other ones
1: went to the olympics yeah, yeah.
0: Like, doesn't matter oh. if you didn't do Ironman.
1: man if
2: if, <laughs> if i do one i want to do it uh do an Ironman man off about 10 days of training and see how it goes well, yeah.
0: that's about where peter's at so that's how, that's how i did
2: my uh your marathon so it, uh, I did. I've I've done a couple marathons. Yeah, it was off about seven or eight runs after this season. Oh, yeah. That'd be uh, that'd be my strategy
1: for the for that event. Did you walk in the week after? Because I know like Steve was like, yeah. Jeff's done a bunch. He just like does, runs a couple times and then he goes and does it off his mountain bike fitness. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll go do that. But then I didn't walk after I did it for like a full week. Like I couldn't walk.
2: I I mean. I had a hard time climbing into a vehicle on the way home, but, I, don't know. I mean, a couple of days later,
1: I was, I was okay.
0: Okay. Well, Peter's a little bitter right now, so... <laughs>
1: well, I mean, Jeff's a tremendous competitor, but... So you have done, I mean, again, from a consummate athlete standpoint, you've done a fair bit of running and hiking, and you're in BC, so you have access to the mountains. Um how much of that plays a role, do you think, in your, your longevity? I, I remember stories, I've mentioned it sort of in the notes I sent you, but story about you deciding you had to go hike with a backpack to strengthen your calves or something, is there truth to that story?
2: I don't know about that one, but uh, I'm certainly uh, a big fan of, you know, doing uh, other sports in the off season, uh, just as far as being a well-rounded athlete, but physically as well there's i mean there's certainly benefits but mentally as well so uh I definitely enjoy yeah when i was in north vancouver doing the gross grind and keeping um some other sports in the mix i really enjoy skiing especially uh i mean nordic and alpine touring i'm up in in squamish now so there's just amazing opportunities there but uh, just uh in the winter to try to you know get off the bike and take off the bike and a lot of that's been not necessarily off the bike, but doing different disciplines with with cyclocross and just to keep things or enduro like I've done, um, just to keep things mental. Um, I think and that's a bit a big thing is uh, getting stale mentally and keeping motivation. Uh, but there's uh, yeah, I think it's it's good for uh, like I said, too much specialization. It's good to get off off the bike. uh,
0: find some other challenges as well health iq is a life insurance company that promotes a health conscious lifestyle through financial rewards
1: they've used science and data to get lower rates on life insurance for health conscious people just like you including those who exercise four times a week through cycling weightlifting swimming running whatever consummate athlete lifestyle you're you're undertaking
0: Research has shown that people who are highly active through exercise have a 22% lower cancer risk, 50% lower heart risk, and 34% lower risk of early death.
1: Many people who exercise regularly don't realize that they can get a special rate with Health IQ if they qualify through the Health IQ quiz.
0: Health IQ has special rates for cyclists, runners, triathletes, vegans, and other health conscious people, so you can qualify by scoring elite on quizzes for specific lifestyles.
1: Essentially replacing BMI with waist-to-hip ratio for better predictors of cardiovascular disease when it comes to weightlifters and muscular builds.
0: That's great for me. They also have replaced the LDL-HDL ratio with triglyceride-to-HDL ratio for low-carb and paleo dieters, which is a better predictor of cholesterol health, and they don't take into account one incidence of family history if you're otherwise healthy.
1: So... Go over to healthiq.com slash C A pod and All lowercase. And take that quiz. Um they have a bunch of different quizzes on the website and website's pretty well designed, so it's worth heading over there, checking it out, and again using that link, healthiq.com slash C A P O D. How did you find you went to Europe for your first cyclocross exposure in Europe this past fall? how did you find that like you did relatively well but again you're starting at the back of a big pack and it's after a long mountain bike season what was like what was sort of the biggest surprise doing that
2: yeah I, that's what uh it's kind of been on my my bucket list for years and i always i talked about it but yeah you get to the winter and think about another trip to europe and never made it happen so
0: it was really fun i mean i really
2: like uh the belgian culture and have one in my my good high school friends who actually lives over in Hent in Belgium. So it was out to you know, fitting a visit. And yeah, it's really, it was really exciting just seeing the atmosphere of the, the big, big races. I mean, everyone's you hear about it and see it um, on the TV internet and just to be at some of those, those classic vid- venues that I've kind of, you know, you know, washed online and uh, to be in it was a really, really cool experience. And, you know, Mike, might go back, uh really admire what um, Scotty's done the Canadian cross program and it'd be fun even if I'm not racing to go hang out and help out and it's just a really really cool atmosphere to be involved with over there
1: yeah did you find like as far as technicality on the is it zolder no zolder's the uh, What's Namur? The, Namur is like quite a technical there's some good shoots and uphills and stuff um, you know I, I, I doubt you were terrified on anything but did you find it? Like I, I to me, it's like a different sport almost than what we consider cross in North America, but certainly in Canada, like it's closer to a mountain bike course in a lot of ways, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, no, I mean I really enjoyed that. I think uh, I've raced a lot of cross in North America, but I was, you know, often frustrated by the lack of technicality um, in the U.S. series that I had to also cater to all the categories and. It was, we hardly had any, you know, venues with the vertical, so, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect, because it's, you know, been pretty amazing watching the the ride, the top riders, but um, I mean, I was mid-pack, but I felt, you know, very, you know, comfortable with my, my skills where I was at, and there's the, I did I did have a few incidents, uh, there's the classic, you know, high-speed traverse section in, in Namur, which you often see on TV, and I had uh, quite a crash where i cross-righted and went over the fence and actually have a nice scar from the rope burn i got from that but felt a little bit better when i watched the video afterwards and well Van Art crashed twice there first couple laps but yeah he um, had a good one there <laughs> it's uh it was just fun you know i mean to you know to be pushed and uh and learn learn some new things over there so i you know i i really enjoyed that and wish i'd seen uh more courses like that in North America, but it's, it's hard to hard to find venues like that.
1: It's funny. I mean, you sort of just talked about it with Van Art crashing. Like I, I never really realized this until I, I think I watched a, a pro World Cup, like a men's World Cup. I just didn't race or something, and I realized the guys at the front, like they crash and they screw up, but they just like they just keep going and it's not that big of a deal, but I think sometimes that gets missed. The people at the back, like have a tantrum and think their day's over and it just ruined what they were doing. But like, you almost sometimes have to be so like, that's why they're going so fast is that they're so on the limit. You know, you can afford the odd crash or two. Um, do you think like that's something that people miss sometimes at the front? Like that, that is happening.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's why there is, Well, those guys are good. They're willing to, you know, get out of their their comfort zone. And, uh, I mean, it's kind of the fun part of You're doing it on these. It's a little bit crazy how hard you're pushing on these, you know, skinny little tires. But I think with all disciplines, you have to be, you know, willing to push out of your your comfort zone. And, I mean, that's uh, one thing. I mean, uh, last five years, you know, I raced some – some enduro and some really good experiences doing transfer and, you know, for sure I was, I was outside my my comfort zone and pushing myself, but, you know, I really grew and learned some things that I was able to, you know, transfer back to other, other disciplines and, you know, those guys are, you know, if you never push yourself outside of your, your comfort zone, you're never going to, you know, make huge progress and um, you just see how comfortable comfortable those guys are on the bikes even though they do mess up sometimes, but they're able to, you know, lose control and regain it because they've, you know pushed that far that they know the feeling and are able to bring it back from the edge.
1: Right. Yeah, throwing out rigor or something. And that's often it, right? Like the they screw up often, but it's never like catastrophic. Like it's like a foot down or a dab, right? And it's, you know, never that that big of a deal. Um Mm. Yeah, it's certainly um, So we talked, we joked, I think, back and forth a bit about this, but you've been known for push ups and various push up challenges, um, sometimes in, involving beverages and sometimes not. But we talked about maybe as like a benchmark. You know, we always talk about, okay, well, to be, you know, of certain caliber of cyclist, you need to have this many watts. But you and I were sort of saying there should probably be like a, a strength, you know, some sort of upper body strength for mountain biking. Uh, and you propose 50 push ups. Um, and I'm wondering, have you thought any more about this this upper body benchmark uh, that we were joking about, um, and and why why you think that's important?
2: Well, I mean, it's only really, uh, I mean, people think of cycling as just your legs, but um, I've certainly you know learned a lot over my career, just in even some of the the physiology testing. You think it's all in the legs, but I remember doing some some testing actually on a, a downhill in, in Kenmore back when we did a lot of lactic testing, um, doing a, a rough four minute, you know, downhill where you're not even um, pedaling and getting to the, to the bottom and checking um, lactate levels and amazing how high it is. And, you know, you don't really think about it, but uh, your, your upper body is, can be working a tremendous mountain. And if it's over the limit, it's gonna, you know, hold back your entire body so it's i mean it's card is kind of a, the 50 push-ups as a, a joke uh, uh video i'm still in progress working on <laughs> that need, needs 50 push-ups in it but you know i worked my way up to 50 push-ups and i i've kept it up consistently and uh certainly find that uh you know a lot of riders complain about pumping up on longest distance but having that endurance strength in the body um and 50 push-ups is just kind of benchmark that uh if you can do that you know you have that kind of endurance strength in the body and, and it's going to really pay off as well as you know having the core strength which is something that uh you know i definitely focused on building a lot
1: well and the push-up's a great one because like you have to maintain a plank basically while you do it right so i mean it's it's a pretty good uh surrogate i guess even just for core strength i think um Yeah, I was wondering, I'd I'd, I'd love to, if we ever get into a gym, I'd like to see, like, we should do some testing as far as that, like, a more endurance sort of how many push-ups, but then also cross-reference that with what your, like, actual max bench would be. Because I'd be curious to know about that, like, as far as max, like, what you can actually push, and if maximal strength, like, how that relates to
0: I thought you were just going to challenge him to a push-up contest. Well, no, we're, gonna get it. Was we're where it was going to get it. We're definitely we're
1: definitely getting into a bench contest, but
0: uh, I'm going to give him the edge here. Sorry, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know.
2: Uh, I mean, that's something that uh, I mean I've uh, never done a lot of gym work. I've always tried to you know when I focus on you know workouts that I could do at home, and so I've, I never I always had you know just five, ten, maybe fifteen pound weights that I'd do a lot of you know kind of an endurance strength uh, on an exercise ball balancing or engaging the core and just small weights, kind of high reps because it's uh, just kind of that endurance strength that uh, you really, I mean, we don't get as many, you know, technical courses, these consistent technical courses, but it's uh, something that uh, tends to get neglected mm-hmm. for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. How many pull-ups can you do?
2: Uh, good question. I'm, um, guessing it might might be around ten. I don't know. I can't like, remember pal- the last time I tried. Out. Palms out. Uh, I don't know. Is palms face palms out? Is that facing away or towards you? Oh, away. Oh, away.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I,
2: good question. I, I haven't challenged okay. myself like Peter's that. He's just trying to make
0: okay. sure For he what? can beat you away with them. <laughs> Yeah,
1: I kind of know what the, the bet's gonna be. Okay, I'll, I'll leave you with that. I'll leave you with that. That's okay. Well, you got
2: the um, training video I'm working on uh, to give you a sneak peek is is drinking a beverage, doing 50 push ups, and drinking another beverage in
1: under 60 seconds. So try that and get back to
0: it. Uh, That might kill him if you want to have a go.
1: Yeah, just the one beer is going to be enough, I think. He
0: didn't say beer, but.
1: Now you are, so the one thing, was that the, so we're talking about beer now, you brought it up. Um, but, I brought
0: it up actually. You brought it up. So Wait.
1: I thought one of the most genius things you ever did was the Yao Ming beer thing. And so you and this giant basketball player, was it Sydney or Athens? Uh, or neither. Beijing. Beijing. So after the Olympics, closing ceremonies, you and this massive basketball player are sitting there. And how to-
2: yeah well it was kind of a I mean that was the mountain bike race was kind of negative for me there I had a couple mechanicals so I was you know kind of bummed out and uh in, in general the opening ceremonies are a lot more interesting the closing tend to be a lot of speeches and uh we're all sitting around a little bored and so it was actually me and me and Seamus decide to leave the infield and go in search of drinks and kind of found our way through hallways and elevators to the concession and just started buying as many drinks as we could and bring them back to the infield for, for the athletes. And I offered one to Yao Ming at first, but he was, at first he was like, no, no, but I think it was Sing Tao. He said, yeah, it's best beer. And so uh, maybe three or four trips later, we were um, getting flats of drinks from the concession. he was sitting down pretty, tired and bored with his his team and I offered him another beer and then he he finally said okay and uh I slammed a beer and threw my hands in the air and before I could finish it and then so he wanted to go again and so he uh had another beer and kind of had a more official start and had a little shotgun contest and traded traded pins I still have the chinese pin on my olympic accreditation from a drink with yao and that was kind of just a fun little memory to take away from uh, beijing after a disappointing race
1: yeah and i mean it's you know obviously there's more to it and it's not just all about booze but it's it's those little things right like and that's you know something to remember and when else would you cross paths with a giant basketball player from china (laughs) yeah that's so after that social media experiment, did you gain a ton of followers and like that video has probably millions of hits by now?
2: Well, I mean, that was kind of like before social media, but I remember it kind of uh, blowing up on micro or whatever Chinese websites of Yao Ming drinking beer and a bunch of uh, sports websites. I mean, it was a terrible little short uh, video clip, but uh, yeah, I guess Yao Ming wasn't known for drinking beer, so it kind of got got a little bit of traction on the right.
1: interwebs. Canadian, like, creates a scandal in China. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so we talked about it a little, um, and we're sort of on this push-up before we got off onto beer, so probably the best segue is into uh, cycling advocacy and, and children's cycling. Mm. Um, I often think
0: of those things as...
1: In, in a perfect world, you know, it's multifactorial, but what do you think, you know, if someone's looking to... To help in their local community or something like where do you think we're, we're falling short or where we could spend more money more energy um you know as far as keeping cycling as a whole moving forward well yeah i mean you kind of you
2: mentioned in your notes about you know benelli uh the race there this spring i was you know traveling in building my own bike racing tearing down and flying home all by myself and i really you know feel like it's a bit bit of a balance you know how much support um you talk about i mean i talked about with frischie having a conversations and having to fight for it and you know as a a junior i mean i definitely had some support but it was almost you know kind of despite the system when i was racing as a junior in a canada cup i was actually flying i don't know my parents my parents let me but i flew across canada out to the east coast all by myself with you know that point I had two bikes, my my big three-inch downhill bike and my cross-country bike, but I was flying out with all my camping gear and flew into Toronto and, you know, got a ride out with my mom's friend and camped out in Kelso, I think it was, and then got a taxi back to the airport and flew out by myself and caught a bus to Nova Scotia and camped out there the week by myself and rode into town and got, you know, craft beer and tuna and bagels <laughs> and...
1: Junior diet. Um, yeah, perfect.
2: So, I mean, it's you see support, and it's not necessary, but um, I think if if anything we're lacking, I mean, the sports system in Canada, we have, uh, you know, a, a focus kind of top-down, and I think that I've seen all you know, oh. my career is the what we really need and starting to see it a little bit is the investment in, um from the the club level up and i mean i think that's where you've seen a lot of success is kind of getting that critical mass of kids together and i mean you see it that uh out your way and in, in hardwood hills the group that's come out there and
1: you know out in quebec uh we're at bromont right now uh, and it's you you would be amazed like the second center uh, the
0: little kids on the bmx track last yeah. night they're they had, like they've put a lot a of,
1: lot of money like they had just this morning like on a tuesday it's not even summer yet and tons of little groups doing all different disciplines right they still have the i don't know if the velodrome's functional but they still have it there but there's kids on bmx and mountain and road so.
2: yeah no i stopped in there last year and amazing facility there and um you know i'm you know hopeful seeing some of the my uh good friend andrew pinfold um and the, the the devo group in vancouver seeing the growth and the skills that kids are getting at a young age and kind of that critical mass of kids you know coming up together and pushing each other. And I mean, that's where it kind of the high performance comes from is kind of kids pushing and learning from themselves. And hopefully those, you know, clubs, the parents get involved and put on good events. And even that's how kind of, you know, teams organically grow, which is, you know, really needed right now. You see with the, the three rocks program, I mean, it started out as kind of a local club and it's grown into an international team. And, um, I think it really need to kind of encourage those you know clubs to to build up uh the athletes and you know the, the good ones will succeed and certainly there's you know the last few percent uh you can you know the high performance that can help out but uh i think we really need to get the the critical mass uh number number of kids at the sport
1: yep i think you're you're exactly right for sure um Okay, couple quick questions just to finish off. When we're getting close to an hour, I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, if you can't use your espresso machine, what's your go-to sort of travel? What what? How do you make coffee on the road?
2: Well, I mean, most important thing is the fresh beans, and uh, you know, I've kind of gone through a bunch of different things, uh, but having my own my own grinder, it's harder now with the the travel with the weights getting up there. But you know, I've used kind of a modified pour over or French press or whatever. But the biggest thing is, yeah, getting a couple bags of fresh beans to take with me.
1: Do you get, like, distilled water or, like, a, a water or anything usually, or do you try it with the just out of the tap?
2: Oh, on the road, take what I can get. I yeah. mean, it's always a challenge. But, uh, at home, I'll you know, it's nice to use the filtered water in the espresso machine for the longevity a bit. Try not to get too many mineral, minerals in there.
1: Right, right. What about the cleaning? This is a really specific, really selfish question, but have you cleaned yours yet? And what, what, <laughs> what, uh, you know, how you get like a solvent? Do you have like a solvent that you use for the espresso machine?
2: Uh, well, my machine up in Canada, I just, uh, after probably 10, 12 years, it was in for service at a little thing. But uh, no, normally I just, I mean, regular back flushing, uh, right. daily kind of, I'll back flush it and then you get kind of the, the oil solvents that kind of do a more longer back flush kind of every uh 10 days or two weeks to clean it out but
1: awesome and what's what's next jeff you got a couple videos i'll link to those ones you just sort of released (coughs) over the last month or two is there anything else coming up that people can look forward to any appearances or video projects or anything else you're sort of working on
2: just uh i mean a lot of a lot of fun events this year you know i've kind of Switched focus and um, got the lost and found gravel and I'm in mean, the Carson City epic, but um, looking forward to getting back to the BC bike race, which should be fun and uh, some different events like, like Downeyville, but yeah, just excited about a uh, bunch of events, fun events in North America this year. Looking forward to.
1: Are you doing, we talked about it briefly, but I don't know if you said you were doing Are you coming to Canadian Marathon National? that's a tough
2: one yeah it's yeah. uh right after bc bike race so i'm uh, not sure if i'm gonna be able to to make the the trip across the country be doing cross-country nationals and can more shortly after that so i might just take the chance to recover a bit and spend some time at home in squamish
1: yeah yeah you gotta get there sometimes uh all right we'll link to you but just so people know what is your twitter insta
2: so uh, all at jeff Kabush. G e o f f k a b u s h.
1: Awesome. And finally, uh, can, is there a book or two that you can recommend that is sort of like Jeff Kabush? Like, if you want that have like influenced your life or set you know sort of a course in your life, is there a book that sort of comes to mind?
2: Uh, I mean, so many. I think one thing. Uh, I mean, send that question. And one thing that I didn't you know learn or focus on. Uh, when I was younger and made a big difference was food and uh I often recommend like a couple of those young athletes uh food revolution by robbins or defensive food by poland um you know food has a you know kind of huge impact on the body and uh definitely one that i always recommend to young athletes to to
1: learn about awesome those are great ones jeff thank you so much for taking an hour over coffee with us yeah um, thank you Take care, and uh, hopefully we'll connect soon. I don't know. Maybe in Cammoor, hopefully we'll be able to ride there. Yeah, sounds good. Well,
0: nice
2: nice chat, and see you guys around. All right. Mm -hmm. Thanks, buddy. Later. Bye.
0: Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the Consummate Athlete Podcast.
1: We would love if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And while you're there, consider subscribing.
0: We'd also love to connect over at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Hereford, and Peter is at Peter Glassford.
1: If you have ideas or questions from today's podcast, or you just want to browse some of the show notes and past shows, you can also check us out at consummateathlete.com.
0: Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time.